Thursday. Hope everybody's having a great week. Today we've got a new series of videos to introduce called The Book Club. This is brought to you by HappyTileGuy.com where you can get your tile contractor websites made, uh, custom made for you, search engine optimized. All right, so what is all this about The Book Club? Well, I've been reading a lot more books lately. I've always been a fan, but I'm really pushing myself to read even more books. And this month, or for the next, I don't know how many weeks it will take, every Thursday we're going to be digging into the book Positioning. Now, the link is in the show notes if you want to buy this book on Amazon. I myself bought a used Amazon book. It's in great shape. It was like six, seven bucks. Books are cheap. Knowledge is cheap. You just have to open, <laughs> crack a book. But I know everybody's busy, and I know everybody's pressed for time. So I thought, you know what? What a cool thing, uh, what a way to do this would be to just give you a brief overview of the chapter or chapters I'm reading in this book. So today, I actually have uh, six, or I think it was five chapters that I read, and I just did a brief uh, synopsis overview for you guys to uh, look into this book, Positioning, by Al Rees and Jack Trout. I don't know if it's Rees or Rees or... Um, but it's L-R-I-E-S and Jack Trout, just like that sounds. Well, let's jump into this. Uh, the first chapter, of course, is an overview for what positioning is all about. And this book was written in 2001. So keep that in mind as we're talking. Um, these gentlemen have been in this um, marketing business since the 60s and 70s. So we talk a lot about some older companies in this book, but it's really a great way to look at kind of how things went down. It's good to have that historical record. Um, and in chapter one, they really go over how a lot of people are misunderstanding the role that communication plays in business today. And if they said that in 2001, um, you know, imagine how much more so it is today in 2022. Because we live in an over-communicated over society, which is something that they uh, also said in this book. But can you imagine 2001? We didn't even have smartphones back then. Now in 2007, the smartphone came out, and we are just bombarded with more and more ads and more and more information just being um, imprinted, and, and you know people are... are um, trying to get our attention, right? And as a business owner, you're also trying to get their attention. So that is really the power of positioning. Um, and even though we have so many ways to communicate, right? I mean, I feel like sometimes it's like text, messenger, you know, chats, um, PMs, DMs, and all the different social media things, um, groups, you know, uh, mastermind groups, you know, all these different ways to communicate. And then all the traditional ones, we're still printing newspapers, everything, blah, blah, blah. So you might say that communication is just like, you know, incredible, but it's almost like very little communication is taking place in this day and age. It's a one-way communication. A lot of people just putting material at us, at us, and not really asking us to respond, which is one thing that when I was reading this the other day, I was really like, you know what? I need to ask my audience, and that's why I did create that um, 
you know, that survey because I wanted to hear from you. And over 200 of you uh, filled that out in less than 12 hours. So thank you very much. If you didn't fill it out, you can look at the link in the show notes here to find the link. And it's, it will help us communicate together, you know, back and forth um, because everybody's lobbying for your attention and everybody's lobbying for your client's attention. Some of you more than others. Some of you are in very noisy markets with a lot of tile installers. Um, so you got to compete with these brands and also just more noise just everywhere more than ever um and so for some of you again that hits harder than others for some of you out in the middle of nowhere you know you've got a nice little setup or maybe you're in a resort town or an island like i know some of you are you know and you're the only tyler or one of six or one of 12 you know for those of you like in san diego for instance you got it a lot harder than than others because there's just so many good tile installers willing to, um, you know, compete and they literally are competing and oftentimes a race to the bottom. So the importance of positioning, um, you know, cr creating that position inside your prospective customer's mind is, is ever more important today than it certainly was in 2001. You know, when you think about the position of your company, Yes, you should take into consideration your strengths and weaknesses, but also your competitors' strengths and weaknesses because you need to know uh, where you sit in the marketplace. Specifically, we're talking about positioning inside your your potential, you know, clients' minds. You know, and it, this positioning, when done right, it will you know lead to more clients that you actually want to attract it will lead can lead to you being able to increase the price of your installations far beyond the marketplace positioning really does impact everything you do in business especially your marketing and really the way the client or the prospect client views you and we'll discuss this more in chapter three i think views you against you know your competitors so it's more about who it's not so much about you as who you're attempting to sell your product to who you're attempting to sell your installations to so whenever you're thinking about positioning remember you have to get in their head and to effectively position your company and attract them you know, don't think so much about the tile installation or the backsplash or the floor or the, you know, ceramic porcelain. Think about who that client is, who you want them to be, right? Who do you want to attract? So positioning is what you do to get into those people's minds, your prospective clients' minds. The basic approach of positioning is to, you know, not necessarily create something new and different, although there is some cool opportunities if you can think of something new and different. But if, you know, if you're going to say, I'm a tile installer, I'm a flooring installer, I'm a contractor, right? Like there's thousands probably in your city if you live in like a large city like San Diego, like I mentioned earlier. So how do you position yourself against all the other tile installers? Well, you know, you really want to, again, get into, you know, that prospect's mind and manipulate um, what's already existing in that in their minds, you know? Uh, because the consumers today, they're not really responsive to strategies that worked in the past. You know, that probably not, you know, this book is 2001, so we have to kind of read it 
and take it with a grain of salt and also understand, you know, why it worked then and, and try to relate it to the tile business, because believe it or not, I haven't read um, an example of a tile business in this positioning book yet, but there's lots of other businesses and they are relatable. I mean, business is business. So, you know, I hope that cleared up chapter one or gave a, a brief overview, but really, you know, real quick, we live in an over, we live and work in an overcrowded marketplace. So less is more, you know, don't try to flood them with information. They actually are being flooded with too much information. So perhaps just one sentence, a couple sentences, a sharp message to cut through the noise and to leave an imprint on their minds. You can start to simplify your message. You got a message, it's 500 words, cut it in half, then cut it in half, then cut it in half again until you think that it's too simple. Well, you're not your client. You're not gonna buy, you're not gonna hire yourself. All right, so that leads us to chapter two, the assault on the mind. Again, you know, there's so many companies out there, so much noise, so much marketing and advertising. There were some really interesting stats. You know, per capita consumption of advertising, I assume when the book was written in um, 2001, was $376 per, um, per person in America. $376 spent per person. Since then, 20 years later or 21 years later, it's doubled. That number has doubled. Over $700 a person is spent on advertising in America. You know, that adds up to uh, 285 billion US dollars spent on advertising in the United States. And that's triple or close to triple what they spend in China, I, I, I read. And so that's a, that's a large number. That's a very interesting t statistic, you know, and all these words, all this advertisement, um, it's just too much. It's too much to consume all of it, of course, but what about, I like this example, what about the New York Times? You know, can you consume all the words in the New York Times? Well, at the time of the writing, I guess it was like 500,000 words in the Sunday New York Times, right? So to read that all would take you nearly 30 hours at an average reading speed. So you can't do it, you know? I mean, otherwise you're going to, you know, waste your weekend and into your week unless you stay up all night and read um, and you know other some other interesting statistics the the book gave us was like the US Congress you know they were passing like 500 laws a year and their regular regulatory agencies were promoting another 10,000 plus new rules a year so and these these agencies and these laws are not stingy with their words. They've gotten a lot worse, I'll tell you what. But in 2001, I guess the author was saying that these laws or these um, regulations would contain like 25,000 words. And they compared that to some, some much older words that are famous, like the Lord's Prayer is only 56 words. The Gettysburg Address was 266, and the Ten Commandments was 297. The Declaration of Independence came in at 300 words. So the words, the books, the words are getting lengthier and lengthier. And so this is just, again, emphasizing that we do are all experiencing an assault on our mind. Um, it's calculated, you know, another statistic the book gave that in 2020, the pharmaceutical industry, I, I, re I did a little um, refresher here for you. It was 
an old stat. I wanted to get the new stat, but in like 2020, the pharmaceutical industry in the U.S. spent six and a half, over six and a half billion dollars on direct-to-consumer advertising, and in um, in the same period, the pharma sector spent six and a half billion dollars. Um, you know, I guess you know two years in a row that was in 2019 and 20. 18 is or 2020 2019 and 2020 so they're spending you know six and a half billion u.s dollars to reach the their you know whoever's taking their pills or their shots um but these pharmaceutical companies spend more on the marketing than they do on the research and development of the shots so you can see how and you know the book was saying this is just a sensory overload i mean it's just a lot a lot of information being put out there and being targeted to us and as well as our you know our prospective clients um, and ironically the book said the effectiveness of advertising has went way down compared to like the 70s and the 60s and so on but the advertising is even more so it goes down so that what do they do they just spend more money and just pump pump out more ads so I, th I don't think I have to convince you that we have an assault on our minds that the book went into more examples, but I think that's a good overview. Chapter three is titled Getting Into the Mind. So how do you position yourself? How do you get into your client's mind? How do you learn how to do that? That positioning this book is going to teach you an organized system for finding a window into your prospect's minds. And it talked early on, you know, in this chapter three, that one of the best ways, the easiest ways to do that is to be the first. Well, what if you can't be the first tile contractor, right? What if you can't be the first general contractor, remodeler, whatever? Well, can you find a way to position yourself against the first business or the largest business in your area? Because the first person and you know, this might seem like an impossible task again, just like I mentioned, uh, but the first per you're, you're never going to be the first tile installation company, no matter where you live. Probably, I suppose some of you might live in really remote areas, but you're never going to really do it. So, but you can be the first company that somebody searched for, you know, somebody moves into your town. They don't necessarily know friends or family in that town. Where are they going to go? They're going to turn to trusted Google. So if they can find you first, you're going to be the first. You're going to have the opportunity to leave the first impression on that client's mind. This is a very, very important uh, point that the book made. And to illustrate it, it talked about some firsts and some seconds. For instance, who's the first person to walk on the moon? Neil Armstrong, right away. Who's the second? I don't know and I didn't care I didn't bother googling but perhaps you know but most likely you don't know you're like me I don't know the first person that first company to occupy that position in the mind is going to be very hard to dislodge it gave some more interesting um, illustrations or examples I should say of real-life companies think about the company Kodak for anybody my age or older you're very very familiar with the company Kodak they were synonymous with photography. They could have been number one in anything photography, but that's a story for another time. They didn't address it in the book, but let me tell you, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, 
Kodak was number one. In fact, it was like, you know, it was almost like saying Kleenex. When you when I say Kleenex, you think of tissue. I don't care if you're using an off-brand, a Walmart brand, you probably call it a Kleenex. And back in the day, paper copies, a copy machine was called a Xerox. Well, Xerox was a name brand like Kleenex is and like Kodak is, but they weren't, you know, they were one of the copiers, one of the name brands out there. But pretty much whatever you were making a copy on at some point in our life, you were doing a Xerox or you were, you know, Xerox and that paper over or whatever, you know, Hertz is the same in rental cars. They were number one. Coca is number one in Cola. General is number one in electric. And these types of um, being number one, it's called imprinting. Imprinting is what biologists use to describe the first encounter between a mother and a newborn baby. That baby is, and that mother is imprinted in that baby's mind. And so being number one is very important if you can be number one. But if you cannot be number one, the chapter talked about different positioning strategies to deal with the problem of being number two or even number 202. Because yes, if you, like I said, there's a lot of tile installation companies. But I do want you to think about being number one in different areas. Like I said, being number one in the first search category, being number one in a niche in the tile industry. Can we think of niches? I mean, yeah. Think about the first person to install glass in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Glass backsplashes. I mean, they probably are still <laughs> installing more glass backsplashes to this day than any, any other tile installer. How about gauged porcelain panel panels? Gauged porcelain panels, I've been preaching it for six months. You bring, you know, yeah, they've, it's been out for 10. I mean, I remember the first four mil gauge porcelain panel mesh back that I saw in Minneapolis, Minnesota at my sister's where she works there at a tile um, showroom supply house. It was laughable. I had a good laugh and I was like, what in the heck is this? And that was, um, that was 2007, I do believe, 2006. And I think I saw some earlier than that. Um, actually, I'm, I apologize. That was 2017 not 2007, but 2017, 2015, somewhere in there, I saw, you know, gauge porcelain panels for the first time, and they've been growing and growing and growing. However, predominantly, you know, in cities across the nation, there's not a porcelain panel installer or somebody who's advertising it in your city, you know, in a residential remodel type setting. Um, there's a lot of difficulties and a lot of the big money is being made in porcelain panels because they're doing it in malls, they're doing it in shopping centers, big commercial spaces. But for you smaller guys, which I know a lot of my audience is, think about it. You could be number one in your area for porcelain panels. You could do that pretty darn easy and be legitimately number one. And the whole reason you want to try to do this is to succeed in our over-communicated society. Everybody's just sick and tired of, you know, people you know, just shoving stuff at them. But if you can be number one, all of a sudden you're providing a valuable service and you're the number one person in their area to do that product. Whether that, again, just be a Google search, first person they found online, you know, or the first person to carry a certain tile product or whatever. It, it, it We got into beers, which, you know, so we'll talk about beers here in chapter three. Um, it gave us the illustration of Michelob. 
Michelob launched a a um, an advertising campaign, and here's what it said. And my screen here, in beer, going first class is Michelob, period. So they were positioning themselves as first class is us. Were they the best premium beer or even the first premium price beer? No. However, they were the first to really label themselves and build that position in the beer drinker's mind. Hey, we're first class. <laughs> So they were able to, you know, really capitalize on being first as a premium brand in their positioning, in their marketing. Then we got into the beer Miller beer. And as much as I wish I had a stake in Miller beer, I do not. But what did Miller do? This was kind of a funny story because Schlitz, and I don't know if you've ever drank a Schlitz beer, <laughs> but I know I have. And uh, they, had a, they had a slogan back in the day, real gusto in great light beer. Let's have a look at this one. Real gusto in great light beer. So this was not a Schlitz light beer. This was just them saying our beer is light. So they were one of the first people to come out and say we have a light beer. Well, guess what? It didn't go so hot for... Um, for Schlitz. <laughs> I mean, they're still around to this day, you know, uh, and it still tastes the same, <laughs> I imagine. But it didn't go so hot for them because people weren't used to the beer drinker. You know, they didn't know. They didn't. There was no information. I mean, what is this light beer you're talking about? But Miller, Miller beer, and as much as I wish I had a steak in Miller, I don't, uh, even if my last name is Miller. But they decided to come out with the first official light beer, and they said L-I-T-E, which is interesting because companies in the tile industry even will still use this um, type of a campaign to this day, or wording it light, L-I-T-E. And here's their advertisement. Can you find the bottle of Miller Light in this picture? By the way, it tastes great. All right. So what did they do? They saw what uh, Schlitz was doing, and they thought, hmm, it's interesting. And they went to their drawing board, and they probably had better marketers who said, let's come out with the official first light beer. you know. And technically, that's what they did. Other beers followed them. Of course, now every beer company has a light beer, an official light beer, including Schlitz. The light beer came out with a light beer after Miller came out with Miller Light. And so this is kind of a, a humorous story, but it really drives the point home. I was really happy to read it uh, um, and, and understand, you know, that that helped me understand what positioning number one could be. Um, and I hope it does as well as you, you know, because the, the real roadway there to success, to wrap it up, the book said that, Look at what your competitors are doing and then subtract, you know, their creativity, which is ultimately a barrier. And this took, I had to read this a couple times. Look at what your competitors are doing and subtract their creativity, which is ultimately a barrier to the message. What does he mean by this? Well, simplify and purify your message in order to get into, you know, your prospect's mind. That is what he meant. You know, don't overcomplicate it with creativity, yada, yada, yada.
All right, let's take a quick commercial break. I did want to mention that this October I'll be attending a three-day business conference in um, in Texas, in uh, Houston. If you are interested in attending with me, I'm not putting this event on. It's something I'm paying to go to. It's not a lot of money. It's $500, and of course the hotel stay, and of course I got to get my get my butt there. But it's a three-day conference with some really incredible uh, people that I've been listening to. Uh, for a long time. Uh, it's uh, it's something that I was doing before I started the Tile Money podcast. And I've always, you know, I, I, this opportunity, like just it's one of those things. It's just like, what? just saw it one day. And I was like, hey, I know those people. I've been a longtime fan. Let me go to this three day conference and they're going to teach me um, ways to put systems into my business and they don't teach podcasters. They actually teach people like my audience, which is uh, home service contractors and such. And so if you want to find out more about that, text the word October to 844-446-7623. And I will uh, simply text you and invite you to a webinar I'm doing next Wednesday. All right. Now we're going to move on to chapter four, which has an interesting title, those little ladders in your head. So in this chapter, they, they mentioned that our minds are going to reject information that doesn't compute. You know, uh, our minds accept information that matches our current state of mind. So again, understanding that this is the way the mind works, that you and I, we see what we expect to see. So this will, again, understanding this will help us to position ourselves better to our um, potential, you know, customers, our prospects. So you see what you expect to see. And the book gave several good examples of this. You know, perhaps the, the most strongest example, in my opinion, was, you know, people who subscribe to either the right or the left end of politics, wherever you might be, one side or the other, um, two people, one, one on the far right, one on the far left, could read the same controversial article and come away with each person feeling that that article supported their viewpoint on a subject. So once again, you see what you expect to see. This one hit home hard because I saw this over and continue to see it over and over again on social media is somebody... Um, on the left will take an article and promote their ideas, and then the person on the right takes the very same article and sees it as supporting theirs. And it's a very interesting thing to look at and, and dig into on why that happens. But it happens, and part of the reason is, well, we're overcrowded with information. Um, we really can't hold a lot of information in our mind at the same time, and so we see what we want to see and what we expect to see out of that article. And so be careful not to give your um, pros prospective clients with your marketing, with your positioning, too much information. We already know that the mind really has a, a, a good memory up to seven units. Seven's very popular in a number for list, list of seven, phone number, uh, has seven digits, you know, um, so how are we going to remember all the brands in one category? We just can't, you know, even if you love 
music, you can't, you don't know all, even if, let's, let's say uh, you love country music. You can't know all the country bands. You just can't remember them. You might remember seven, maybe more if you're a real, a real large fan. But we have to keep everything very simple. Just really, uh, again, this chapter, you know, talked about keeping things simple. And then the ladders, where did the ladders come into play? Well, people rank things in ladders. Um, for instance, maybe the ladder had seven rungs is kind of, I think, the, the meaning of or the, the gist of that chapter. Seven runs on a ladder, you know, and they go into explaining how that top company, that number one tile installation company is going to hold that position. Well, you know, it'd be really great to be number two if you can't be number one. And this is kind of what we talked about or what the book talked about, I should say. Uh, it talked about Hertz, rental cars, rental cars, and Hertz has been... For, for the longest time, number one, and Avis the second, and at the time of the book, it, national car rentals was the third. I looked it up. National sunk down to, I think, five or six, but um, Hertz is number one still, and Avis is number two still. And so before you can start to position yourself against your competitors or position yourself in your prospects, uh, prospective client's mind, you know, you have to know where it is on the ladder that you sit in your potential customers' minds. It's often easier to tell your client, your prospective client, what your product is not rather than what it is. And this was illustrated with, um, you know, the vehicle. The, the first automobile was called a horseless carriage. It's not a it's not a horse carriage. It's a horseless carriage. Is it going to get you down the road? I mean, it had to be. Those are just two words. I mean, really simple to the point. Everybody could understand understood it. How about sugar free gum? You know, can't eat sugar. What do I need? I need that sugar free gum. So, you know, in other words, don't be afraid to tell you tell your um, prospects what you are not, if that's easier. You know, um, can a company be number two and be successful. Heck yeah, you can. You know, we talked about Avis being number two in the car rental space. Well, guess what? For years and years and years, according to the book, they struggled and they failed to turn a profit. Well, then they came up with this new slogan. They come up with a new slogan. And here's what it says here. Avis, we try harder. And so this, this slogan said, Avis is only number two in rent-a-cars, so why go with us? Because we try harder. And so this was an interesting, you know, a, a kind of a eye-opening thing here um, that Avis was positioning themselves as number two. Why did they do that? Because right on top of them was the number one. I, You know, they were hitching their company to number one, which was Hertz. And did it work? Heck yeah, it worked. For 13 years prior to that slogan, they lost money. Avis had been losing money. But then they came out with a slogan that said they were number two, and they try harder, and they started making money. And so Avis recognized the position of Hertz. They didn't try to attack them head on. Did they really try harder? According to the book, no. <laughs> you know, and I can see that. I mean... It was, it's a marketing ploy, right? It's, it's, it's a positioning tactic. And maybe they tried harder, you know. I don't know. Maybe the author was being a little hard on them. But he's been writing about these subjects since, you know, at least the 60s, 70s. So I'll defer to him. But 
Avis was a success nonetheless because they related themselves to Hertz, and they also did something kind of interesting, which I'll um, mention here in a minute. But they position themselves, and this is, and and the book gives other examples. I, but again, this is just a brief overview. They position themselves, and if you want to position yourself, you got to do it consistently. You have to do it month after month, year after year. Don't fall into the trap of forgetting what made you successful, which is actually something that happened to Avis, believe it or not. So don't fall into the FWMTS trap. Forgetting what made them successful is what Avis actually did. Um, Avis was sold after a few years of success and showing profit. They were sold, um, and the new owners started running the campaign. Avis is going to be number one. So, in other words, they were attacking or going head-on against the true number one, which was Hertz, which was, the book says, advertising their aspirations. And that is the wrong psychology and the wrong strategy if you want to position yourself correctly. Well, their old slogan worked well, and there are several reasons it did. Um, Avis, like I said, is still number two, so maybe that slogan didn't kill them, but it certainly might not have helped them. Their old slogan, we're number two and we try harder, was a success for two reasons, the book says. Number one, they related themselves to the number one rental company, which I already mentioned. And number two, frankly, people love a good underdog story. I mean, if you don't have a team going into the Super Bowl, you are going to root for the underdog. Pretty much guaranteed. Maybe not you, but most people. <laughs> All right, chapter number five summary, you can't get there from here. All right, so this started out with kind of an interesting story that I'll just read because I can't do it any better than reading it. And it goes like this. A traveler asked a farmer for directions to the town. The farmer replied, well, what you want to do is go down the road for a mile, turn left at the fork. Uh, no, 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 that won't work. What you want to do is you turn around and drive that way back the way you came for half a mile till you hit a stop sign. Then turn right. And the farmer continued, no, no, that won't work either. Then the farmer had a long pause, looked at the confused traveler and said, you know what, son? You can't get there from here. You can't get there from here. And... This was a story that had me scratching my head for a while, but let's see if we can't make some sense of it together. The book goes on to say that this is the fate of many people and businesses today. They just find themselves in a spot, a position where they can't get there from here. So, you know, like Avis, the book says they're never going to be number one. They can wish, wish upon a star and they can even state it like they said, but it doesn't make it happen. Neither will all the advertising money they can spend. Your company and that, any company can have a really good product, have really great people behind the company, great marketing. However, you will still fail miserably if you happen to be in a position where you can't get there from here. And one story to illustrate this, which helped me understand what the author was um, the point he was making was uh, the company RCA, you know, the company RCA, which for years and years made televisions, probably still does, I suppose. 
Um, well, they wanted to get into the computer industry in the 70s, and they failed. They failed miserably. They spent a lot of money. The book goes into details I won't go into, but they spent a lot of money, and they were attempting to get in the computer industry. The authors of this book said they, they came out with an article, um, like a newspaper article or a tech a tech journal article in 1970 that talked about why RCA wasn't going to succeed. And, of course, if RCA saw it, that probably just made them go further. But they didn't, they didn't succeed. Why? You know, because they were going up against IBM, which at the time was, was just this monster in the computer world. And they spent, they frankly spent too much money and too much time trying to go against IBM head on. How can you compete against IBM? Well, not head on. I mean, they had 70% of the computer business at the time. So how would you go against them? Well, be like Avis, the book says, number one, recognize them. Number two, don't try to be them. You know, the old saying, and I, I've heard it recently, you know, it's not so old, I suppose, as people are still saying it. Fight fire with fire is what they say. The book says, you know, that doesn't quite make sense because you fight fire with water. So in other words, don't compete head on and spend all your marketing money trying to compete against the person who has 70% of the market share. <laughs> you know, what was RCA really good at? In 1969, RCA was a leader in communications. So the, maybe they made phones. I don't know. TVs, you know, form of communication. Um, I think they did make phones, maybe some other communication type um, products. But the book says that they were a leader in communications. So the book was saying, the authors were saying that they could have and should have capitalized on their communication fact and said, hey, we have the first personal computer that is strictly for communicating, you know, and made it kind of simple, like, you know, simple is is clear and simple is number one, right? So now if they did that, perhaps they would have lost business by just focusing on one subset of a product. But what they would have gained is, you know, they would have established their position in the computer industry and then set themselves up for future successes in that industry. Again, establish your position. Can't be number one. What are you really good at? Because you don't want to uh, fail. However, what's worse than failure, the book said, and I agree with this, what's worse than failure is uh, years and years and years of mediocre success. So... While you don't want to fail, you don't want to just be kind of mediocre at what you're doing. And they go into this deeper. Of course, uh, we just touched on five chapters. There's a lot of small chapters. That's why I took five today. And I did go a little long-winded, so next time I'll probably stick to two or two chapters or maybe even one at a time. Um, I was hoping this would be a 15-minute segment. Other than that, let me know in the comments how you liked it. Let me know. Let's talk about positioning. Let's talk about the book. Um, and I hope you're having a good week, Tile friends. And of course, you know, get the book if you want it. It's in the show notes here, wherever you're listening or watching this um, episode, this bonus episode, this segment of Tile Money. This is going to come out on Thursdays. It's called The Book Club. My intention is to come out with it every single Thursday. All right, Tile friends. All right, all right. I'll leave you with that. I hope you're having a great week. Remember, if you want to get a website, go to happytileguy.com. If you want to join me and my wife for a business seminar, three-day business seminar, text October to 844-446-7623. All right, Tile friends. We'll talk at you later.